If you have been following with us in our sermon on the Lord's Prayer, uh, please, uh, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, turn to Matthew chapter 6 because we're going to continue our discussion of this beautiful prayer that the Lord gives us and His disciples to pray. The, lead, the, uh, the disciples were interested, by the way, the other scripture being in Luke, where the disciples came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, uh, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And um, he says, okay, let me teach you how to pray. And he walks them through this, this piece of scripture. If you're there in, in Matthew 6, let's uh, just kind of read along here. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. One of the things that I think that, uh, that, that the Lord has graciously gifted you with, Midtown, is uh, a group of men and women who work as your staff people that really have a deep desire to get it. <laughs> that really aren't interested in just kind of putting and doing something kind of cool on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning, but really want to have, they have a deep passion to be broken by the gospel, to see it in all of its color, and to truly live it out, actually even in the four walls of our own office and it's difficult so I say that to you to let you know that this week for me as as I've come to this scripture it's been very difficult for me uh, as it is for for probably all of us when we go to the word and we say Lord speak to me about this say something to me show me my massive inadequacies. And uh, boy, does he ever come through with that prayer. And tonight, we're going to talk about this piece of this prayer where we actually would look and we actually would pray those words. Look there in verse 10 where it says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I began to think this week, what, and it's kind of a weird question, but follow along, what am I doing when I'm praying that prayer? What, what am I doing? What am I actually doing when I'm praying the prayer of your will be done? in heaven with the angels, it's all in sync. It all works there. It's like beautiful. And apparently the Jesus wants us to pray that that sync that is happening in heaven is the same kind of sync that we should at least try to attain in some way or run into here on earth. Well, what does that look like? But back to my point. 
When I began to ask the question, when I'm praying, what am I doing here? What am I really praying? And I just came up with one thing that I want to share with you tonight. And I guarantee you that this, I am like the chief center of this whole sermon. Please hear that. I struggle with this more than probably anybody here, more than 10 of you put together. And it's this, and you'll, 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 you'll understand it as I kind of walk into it with you, but it's this. What am I doing when I'm praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What, when I pray this prayer, what am I doing? I am praying, here's what it is. I am praying the great, quote-unquote, reversal on my earthly life. And I'll explain it in a minute what I mean. But when, I, when I'm praying the prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what I'm praying is I'm praying for the great reversal on my earthly life. It'll make sense in a second. Follow. George Barnett, who leads a research group uh, that studies the church, uh, says a few interesting things uh, in a recent book about the church. And let me share them with you. To increasing millions of Americans, God exists for the pleasure of mankind. He resides in the heavenly realm solely for our utility and our benefit. We live by the notion that true power is assessed not by looking upward to him, our Father in heaven, but actually by turning inward to ourselves. I think it's true. In short, the spirituality of America is Christian in name only. We desire experience more than knowledge. We prefer choices to absolutes. We, we embrace preferences rather than truths, and we seek comfort rather than growth. It's true. And faith must come on our own terms or we actually reject it. We have enthroned ourselves, and this is maybe the most offensive thing he says. It sure, I did sure didn't like it. We have enthroned ourselves as the final arbiters of righteousness. The ultimate rulers of our own experience and destiny. Is it true? Do we even, as good little Presbyterians, believe that too? I mean, not believe it, but actually live it out. Do, is this how we live our lives out, that... I actually, on Wednesday at 3.05, am the complete and utter ruler of my own destiny. I believe that I'm going to make my goals, I'm going to make my week, and I'm going to make it happen. Is Barna right? Have we actually come to the place, and I ask myself this, have I actually come to the place where God exists just for my pleasure? It's pretty weak, isn't it? I have to confess it's true. It's true for me. It's because many times I have a very whimsical God. I'm a very whimsical person. God is capricious. He's just kind of, kind of not even there sometimes. And when I want him and need him, when I feel good, when the worship song's just right, it goes on and on. Have I actually come to the place where true power and healing come from somewhere within my own mind and body. There's, so, there's a lot of people that I talk to uh, uh, on a weekly basis about the gospel and about the Lord, and they talk to me too. And one of, the, one of the things that they want a lot of times out of a pastoral conversation is 
They want me to in some way turn some magic key for them. Where I turn a key and I'll, if I turn it just right, I'll walk them through a door. And usually the, the name on that door is what I call pathology. And pathology meaning that if they can in some way figure out the path that's gone behind them, then in some way they can navigate their present and then their future. That's not the gospel. God has already navigated a path for his sons and daughters. It's by sending his son to the cross. And we don't get healing and we don't find respite. We don't um, get deliverance. We don't find love in the finally figuring out how bad we were potty trained at six, six years old. Or fill in the blank. Is it true that I've enthroned myself as the final arbiter of righteousness? Or that I am the ultimate ruler of my own destiny? How could that be true? Maybe it's because me and you have swallowed the wrong pills. There's a phenomenal movie that came out in 1975. Uh, all of you probably here, at least the majority of you were not even born then. <laughs> um, there's a lot of good movies that took place before you were born, and many. And one that has always haunted me in my life is a movie called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And uh, this movie is a movie about Jack Nicholson, who basically plays a character, and the character in the movie that he plays is called Randall Patrick McMurphy. And he is, uh, He's a criminal who has been indicted on statutory rape charges, and instead of going to jail, they send him to a mental institution. And when he gets there, he meets a diabolical character, and this character that he meets is Nurse Ratchet. And Nurse Ratchet <laughs> uses basically three things to really suppress kind of the patients that are in the mental ward. And she uses these things, she combines these things in a, in, a real, in a real way to kind of just kind of make sure that everybody kind of walks around and gets along like zombies. And one of the things she uses is, she uses group therapy, where she shames everyone in front of everyone. And in many ways, I think that's what the world does to us, don't you? Many of us, it's amazing to me how often when I meet with many of us, we're shamed so badly by the world. We, we haven't gotten maybe the message that the Lord has said to us, I've, I've taken away your shame, you're free, you're a free son, you're a free daughter. But she uses shame and then she also uses kind of this mind-numbing daily routine where there's this music playing in the back that's it's, it's just very prosaic, you know. And then, of course, it... During the day, every day, everybody takes pills. And I thought about that. And I thought, is that America? Is that Nashville? Is that what our life is? Is that is that the culture? Is, is that the, the cultural pill that we've swallowed? That I'm just this kind of this walking around zombie, taking pills and people kind of shaming me about my past life. 
part of those pills that they basically feed me are the, the pills of individualism. I'm told that independence and individuality are my gospel. That's the crazy America that I live in. It's the insane America. I must maintain my independence and my individuality at all costs. I am constantly swallowing, and I don't say this to you. If it's true for you, great, but I will tell you this. This is true of my life. I am constantly swallowing the trust your feelings to guide you pill. Only I know what's right for me. You don't. God, definitely not. And so it goes. A dramatic story unfolds in my life where I'm a cultural pill-popping addict to my own individualism. Sorry. Sorry to bring you down. That's true. I'm at the center. I'm the star. I'm the focus. The camera's on me. I can't imagine, as much as I would like to think otherwise, but I've got, to, I've got to make a confession to you tonight. Maybe you could make the same confession. I love it. Are you kidding me? I love it when you sit down and you're a frothy monkey. You sit down and you say to me, Hey, tell me about you and your gifts. I say, Do you want the short or long version? Hoping you'll say the long. I love talking about me. I love talking about what I love for food, what I love to eat, what I love to do as a hobby. I'm my favorite subject. How about you? I love it when people try to figure me out, because then I'm the center. I'm so enamored with me. Isn't it sickening as I keep talking? Kind of gives you a cappy, doesn't it? Just listen to it. Have you ever been with somebody that um, you walk away from them and go, oh my gosh, they make me sick to my stomach, dude. <laughs> you just want to look at them and just get over yourself, man. <clears throat> it's not about you. Have you ever been with anybody like that? If, you, if you're shaking your head yes, sure you've been with that person. Because I've been with that person too, and the person's me. And why I said all that to you is to set you up for the massive amount of conviction that needs to come into our hearts when we would actually even think about praying the prayer, your will be done. On earth. Your will be done. 
So actually the idea that when I talk about here, what we're actually doing is, is that this, this prayer is calling me into this, the great reversal I'm talking about. If every day I'm looking at myself in the mirror, waking up in the mirror, and I'm going through my day looking at that mirror and, and looking and saying to that face, your will be done, which is me, what the great reversal is, is Jesus is saying, no, pray like this, thy will be done. Reverse it. Do the great reversal. Very painful, by the way. Reverse it. In one way, Jesus may be saying, get over yourself. It's about my will. It's about what, what I'm doing. See, we're reversing the order. We need to reverse the order. We are asking for what I call a painful turnaround. We're asking for it to be different. That's what Jesus is saying here. We're saying it's not about me, it's not about my self-will. For anybody that's married, they'll tell you that one of the greatest things that they've had to groan about, they've grown about the loss of their entire self before they came to know this person that they married. They had to give themselves entirely to this person. Everything's changed. It's not about them anymore. It's now about us. And the reversal of that is very, very difficult, isn't it? My friends, I, I want to make sure that you hear me say in all love today that there's a dramatic story that is being told. It's a story of promise and fulfillment with Christ at the center. Its focus is on God and His action. And God is not a supporting actor in our drama. It's the other way around. God does not, did not exist to make sure that I am happy and fulfilled. We exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God is not a facilitator of my life transformation projects. He is not a life coach. He is not the janitor that cleans up our messes on Saturday morning after we flubbed it up with our boyfriend on Friday night. He's the author. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the perfecter of our faith. He is king. He is ruler. He is creator. He is our lawgiver, our judge, our covenant Lord, our redeemer who has walked into the insane asylum of our lives and rescued us from our pill-popping ways. That's what he is. And this week, I need another rescue, I guarantee it. Because I have a terrible tendency to go back into the insane asylum and to pop the pills of culture that says, I'm the king. I'm the one who's important. The old, uh, theologians would call me, I'm a reformed Pelagian. Pelagian means I am a person who believes that I can pull myself up on my bootstraps and get what I want done. I can be good enough, doggone it. I'm bright enough, good enough, and doggone it, people like me. Kind of right the Stuart Smalley theology. We believe that. I do.
in Luke chapter 22, Jesus, if you're, you want to turn there, it's 2239, I'm going to read from there. This prayer that Jesus prays is a prayer that is 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 really parallel with Jesus is saying, saying to us, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, let's say it again, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Father, your will, right? And Jesus here is praying, and what he, what he prays for is, I, I call this the, the prayer of the great reversal. And let's, let's look at it, because in 22:39. It says this, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, "Pray that you may not enter into temptation." And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, "Father." If you are willing, remove this cup from me. What was the cup? What was he talking about? Do you know? Help me. What was he talking about? His death, right? Remove the cup of suffering. Remove the crucifixion from me. And then, in the NIV it says, yet, right? In the ESV here, it says, it uses the word, Father, if you are willing, remove, remove this cup from me. And then it says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's beautiful. And I want to talk with you tonight, young pilgrims, about the fact that we have a beautiful father who apparently doesn't mind it when his, even his own son looks at him and says, is there any way that I can get out of this cross thing? Because it really hurts to know that I'm going to have to experience this pain that you have foreordained for me. Can I get out of it? Can you remove it from me? It says a lot about our Lord. It's it's beautiful. It's, it's like my father, when I went back behind the garage one night, I decided to have like 50 cigarettes at one time, you know, <laughs> just smoking, smoking, smoking. You know, just wanted to gag it down. I was sick by about number three, you know. And he comes back and he catches me. Have you ever been caught red-handed, you know, and you go, oh, gee, you know, you're trying to throw him out, you know, because you're smoking. <laughs> right? He kind of looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And I began this unbelievable story. Just, well, I'm just trying to try it. And he goes, he goes why, why didn't you tell me when to smoke a cigarette? And I thought, you're like awesome. I could have smoked a cigarette in front of you, my dad. Because maybe my dad knew that I was just curious. I was just a young boy, and he had a lot of patience and grace for that. Could you, do you think that the Lord knows that you're a young, young boy or young girl and that he has a lot of patience and grace for you? 
you know that? Did you ever, you ever thought about that? It's beautiful if you think about it, that, that the Lord would actually allow his own son to say, hey, take this away from me so we can apparently share our desires. But I got to confess to you that most of us, when we talk about praying the great reversal, because the great reversal is when Jesus is praying here, when he's saying, this is what I want, but nevertheless, Lord, reversing it, not my will, but your will. I'm not the king. You're the king, I'm the son. Most of us actually, when we look at this scripture, most of us are the problem in our prayer. I don't know if it is for you, but it is for me. Is most of, most, most of the time I stop at, remove this cup from me. Do you get it? So whatever the, my desire is, whatever my suffering is, whatever my problem is, I just want the Lord to remove it from me. If it's removed from me, then I'm good. But I don't want to go to nevertheless. I don't want to go yet. It's a very dangerous word. Because yet or nevertheless means in spite of all that, in spite of what I want, in spite of what I'm struggling with, in spite of my desire, no. Nevertheless, your will, not mine. Here's what it means, and I'm closing. I'll finish up with this. It's the dangerous and most horrific word that we can use, and none of us want to say it, because when we say nevertheless, it's the beginning of me dethroning my will and my self-will. Do you follow It means, actually, when I would say, nevertheless, in my prayer, your will be done and not mine. It actually means, listen, listen to this, because I'm talking about your functional life, not here, but in your home this next week. It actually means that I actually have to trust someone else besides me to do life. No, it really means that. Do it this week. See if you can utter the words when you're, in, when you're in your struggle, when you're in your pain, or whatever. Pray it out. Do exactly what Jesus did. And then say, nevertheless, yet, not my will, your will be done. Do it. Because I, I, I tried to do it a lot this last week, and I had a hard time just getting the never out, nevertheless. Because it's a dethroning. It's an abandoning of me. It's a throw up of the pills that I've swallowed. It means that I have to trust. It means that I have to leave control to, to let go of that. It's, it means that I abandon the agenda for my life and for my job and for my marriage and for all the things that I have a plan for and, and an Excel spreadsheet on. such control freaks and I'm probably one of them that it just it, it absolutely imprisons our lives I think many times I don't want to pray the nevertheless prayer because I don't want if I were to really be honest with you if I pray okay this is what I'm dealing with Lord nevertheless your will but my will and, and guess what I'm thinking okay nevertheless your will but your will be done you're going to screw it up. 
you're going to send me something, you're going to send me more pain, you're going to send, you're going to do this, whatever the case may be. And I pray nevertheless, I got to share something with you that's hard. It will mean certain pain when you pray this prayer. And in Jesus' case, it meant excruciating pain. The very thing that Jesus wanted, which was the removal of the cup, he didn't get. Instead, he had to drink the cup. And some of you right now are in a deep amount of suffering that the Lord may be content to look at you and in love, stand beside you and hold the cup for you as you drink it, your cup of suffering. Many of us don't think like this. We think that if we obey God, we'll, we'll get to green pastures and there's like beautiful flowers and we'll be jumping around in ballet suits and stuff. But many times obeying God's will takes us to painful places like black hilltops where crosses are. So, we say, Lord, Remove the cup of suffering from my life, my singleness, my marriage problems, my financial problems. Remove those things. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Father, remove uh, my wife from my life. She makes me miserable. I'm not talking about my marriage. It's not bad marriage. That was really good. But sometimes the people that we live with make us miserable. Maybe that would make us happy if we were to say, Lord, just take my wife away. Take all the misery of her away. Take my husband away. Good. Night. Please take him away. Just take him, maybe send him on a long vacation. Never the less, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I have a miserable life. And all I want to do is run away. Nevertheless, Father, I struggle with wealth. To tell you the truth, I want wealth and I'm greedy. Nevertheless, not my will. Father, I want to passionately obey the lust of my flesh. Nevertheless, not my will be yours. God is glorified when we live in the nevertheless. I encourage you this next week to pray the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray this prayer, pray the Luke 2.22 prayer. Pray the nevertheless. Be willing to allow God to be glorified in the nevertheless, even if you don't understand where the Lord could take you. God's will many times, almost all the time, isn't necessarily revealed to us with great clarity, is it? It 
just requires sons and daughters who love their father who trust him. And that's our Let's pray. Father, it's easy for me as I, as I even give this sermon how sovereign I want to be over my life and how I don't want to really pray this prayer so many times in the real corners of my life. I confess that. I pray that even now as we move uh, into communion, I pray, Lord, that we would confess our own supposed sovereignty over our lives. Pray that we would be a people that are deeply enamored with your glory and a lot less enamored with ourselves. We need your strength in this endeavor, Father. We even need to know many times how to pray. I love it when you just even look at your disciples and say, just pray that you won't even fall into temptation. We're a needy people. So come and minister to minister to us now in our deep need we pray in your name Amen I'm going to come to the table tonight and uh Maybe a beautiful thing for us to do, actually, when I think about what we've just talked about. Because I think there's many times in our lives where we need a space and time to obey what Jesus asks us to do at the table and to come and to even give up our will to the Father and to proclaim whose we are. And as you think about, pray about, meditate on coming, I want to Make sure that I read the scripture, the scripture to you. It's very important for us to hear. It's from 1 Corinthians 11, and it says this, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. And as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I want to encourage you tonight to come. If you are a believer, have Jesus as your Lord in your life, this is a time for you to come and to proclaim the Lord's death and to remember and to do business, especially business of confession with, confession with the Lord. If you're a believer, this is your table. If you're not a believer here tonight, thank you for being here. We love it, the fact that you're here and you're exploring the truths of the word. This table is not for you. And we want to encourage you to come and ask questions. And if you don't know the Lord and you want to talk with somebody about their relationship, I'd be more than happy to do that with you afterwards. But for our believing friends, this is a serious thing.
many of you even tonight, as I was talking with Randy before the service tonight, we were talking about this. And I love what he said to me. He said, you know, it's really important that when people come to the table, that they take a serious inventory of their lives. And it fits beautifully in what we're talking about with our will. There may be parts of your life where in will, you're willing and you're saying, I am not giving this to the Lord. This is an aspect of my life. This, this could be bitterness or hatred towards someone. It could be sin. It could be whatever the case may be. I am not going to do that, but I'm going to come up and partake at the table. We'd advise you, don't come to it. Or if you want to come and do that business and give that up to the Lord, please come. Finally, we want you to come and kneel. We completely recognize that many of you may need prayer as you come and you kneel. If you do need prayer, please take your hands and cross them. One of the folks that are serving will pray with you. If you want to come and pray and spend some time, please do. When you're ready to receive the elements, just hold out your hands. Let's pray. God, thank you for a time that we can come together and we can remember you. And we can come together and we can proclaim you and your will over our lives. Especially over many of the private areas of our lives that nobody in this room really knows about. Lord, we pray that tonight would be good and that we would come as contrite sons and daughters and that we would even receive healing from you tonight as we come and bow and bend the knee before our King. Thank you.